The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Jaws of Justice Radio strives to investigate how to achieve justice in America, and this includes issues of economic injustice, political injustice, and the criminal justice system. We want to dispel misconceptions. We hope you will listen. Today, host Macy Jones will be speaking with his guest, Louis Duguid, about black history. You know the old saw, if we do not know our history, we're doomed to repeat it. Let me add to that. If we don't know our history, our present is shaped by our ignorance. Louis Duguid is the former columnist, editorial board member, op-ed page editor, and letters editor at the Kansas City Star. And he is also a published author. He's written A Teacher's Cry, Expose the Truth About Education Today, and Discovering the Real America Toward a More Perfect Union, which examines the often overlooked history of white privilege, racism, and discrimination in the United States. As ever, Louis Duguid has a great deal to tell us, and we're lucky to have him as our guest. Louis is a remarkable fit on KKFI a person not afraid to speak the truth, and a community radio station that's not afraid to broadcast the truth. During the other half of our program, host Keith Brownell is going to provide his commentary about the gun violence in general, but particularly on the February 14th parade. Many citizens were wounded and one was killed. Our own DJ, Lisa Lopez-Galvin, all honor to her. May she rest in peace. This really brings the prevalence of gun violence home to us. Any one of us was at that parade. All of us in the studio are DJs on KKFI, and so every one of us wonders, will I be shot? Do I send my child to school every day? On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Good morning. And I would like to extend the invitation to our listeners. If you have a question, comment for Mr. Duguid, you can call us at area code 816-931-5534. That number again is area code 816-931-5534. And thank you again for being here with me this morning, Mr. Duguid, to talk about black history. Um, It's a pleasure, and and please call me Lewis. (laughs) All right, Lewis. Now, um, we had a layman on the show speaking on black history from a common man's perspective, and I thought it would only be befitting to have someone that may have researched and have a better, different understanding of what black history means to us. And if you would, could you express to us concerning Carter G. Woodson? Well, for sure. Um, I want to first say that uh, Dr. Woodson uh, 
was uh, a remarkable human being. Uh, the uh, first PhD graduate of, of Harvard University and of course established Negro History Week in 1926, which became during the bicentennial of the nation, Black History Month, in 1976. So he has a rich history, but it's personal. And I think we always have to look at it as being personal. Uh, my dad, uh, Dr. Lincoln Duguid, uh, actually heard Dr. Woodson lecture back in the 30s at uh, West Virginia State College uh, in West Virginia. So um, he would, would be able to tell personal stories about um, uh, Dr. Woodson and the lecture that, that he provided. Um, and, and so it, it brings a relevance to, um, to black history and Dr. Woodson that a lot of people can't really share. Uh, but Dad used to always say that um, for everyone else, it's a small world for African Americans because there are so few of us and we try to stay connected. It's a small universe. So uh, Dr. Woodson really provided that link, uh, especially for uh, African-Americans who had gone to college, that, that really wasn't present anywhere else. Now, I have to also say that studies have been done in the last uh, few decades that have proven that students who go through ethnic studies who are students of color actually do better in college and in school than if they didn't have that ethnic studies. Why? Because they have a clearer, better sense of themselves. They have a clearer, better sense of their past, which always reflects on their present and what they can achieve to go into the future well-informed and well-armed. So to keep us ignorant, as Dr. Woodson knew, uh, would, would only further the advantages of discrimination against us. So we, we have to overcome that, that's, that system in, in order to become better individuals, clearer thinkers, and people who can produce for this country. So what are some of the contributions to America that we have, uh, that we have brought about? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I put some of that in my book, um, Discovering the Real America Toward a More Perfect Union. And it's in the play that I wrote that's in the back called A Civil Rights Haunting. And in this, this, this play, um, there's a couple who's white uh, who has misimpressions of African Americans as people who only cause problems and create uh, bad situations for everybody else, but the civil rights angel who had um, been killed in the movement comes back and slowly takes away all of the things that, that African Americans were responsible for producing so that as the couple is learning about these things and they disappear, then they come away with a better appreciation for African Americans. Um, uh, for instance, um, they, didn't, they didn't understand that uh, Frederick uh, Jones holds the July 12, 1940 patent for inventing the practical refrigeration system 
that went into the production of, of refrigerators in our homes. They, they didn't understand that uh, John Standard and Thomas Elkins, who were African-Americans, invented and, and patented uh, the refrigerator uh, itself. They didn't understand that Lloyd P. Ray got the patent in uh, August 1897 for the long-handled dustpan and that Thomas Stewart, a black man in June uh, 1893, patented uh, the clamping mop, which is used, of course, in, in homes for, for cleaning. Um, they didn't understand that uh, W.B. Purvis, a black man, patented the paper bag machine. So there, there are all of these uh, and, and dozens of them uh, that are in here, including Madam C.J. Walker, who became the first black millionaire uh, in the in 1900s for developing uh, uh, hair care products that not only African-American women use, but also um, white women use because they use the, the same kinds of products for perms and whatnot for their hair. But, but these, are, these are some of the things that, that are, um, are missing in, in us really appreciating us. Now, I also learned in doing research for my uh, latest book, Exploring Cuba, uh, Erasing Fears Through Multicultural Education, that the years 2015 to 2024, so we're in the last year of this 10-year period, was set aside by the uh, United Nations General Assembly as the international decade for people of African descent. That's worldwide. And so the United Nations was trying to get people who are part of the African diaspora to um, be enriched by the things that we have contributed to, to the world overall, rather than, than people um, being um, discouraged and, and feeling um, that, that we are creating problems as we, as we uh, try to get along and, and, and be productive uh, in, in every country uh, almost imaginable throughout the world. And I like to say to our listening audience, if you hear any noise, there's some construction going on here in the building. And uh, hopefully it doesn't take away from the program today. And once again, that number is area code 816-931-5534 if you have a comment or a question for Mr. Duguid. Now, Lewis. Yes, sir. How do you feel concerning... Uh, Gerald Ford uh, proclaiming February uh, an honorary month for black history? Well, you have to understand that Ford was a person who was a part of that, that time period. And um, February was designated uh, as the month for black history. Uh, essentially for the same reasons that Dr. Carter G. Woodson did, uh, designated Negro History Week um, during February as, as uh, that, that period in which we should celebrate um, black history. Um, part of it was because Frederick Douglass was supposed to have been born during February, though they don't have the exact date. Um, and part of it was because of Abraham Lincoln's uh, birth taking place in February. And this is President's Day. 
and Ford wanted to do something that helped to celebrate those occasions. And, and he was coming out of the Nixon administration, which you know that Nixon was a problem for black people overall. And he also helped to move what had been the Dixiecrats out of the Democratic Party into the Republican Party. So Ford was trying to toss us a little something to, to make us feel better about uh, Republicans. And with, with Congress, uh, of course, um, designating uh, uh, February as Black History Month during the bicentennial of the nation. So he was simply doing what kind of work, no different from what Ronald Reagan did in designating um, uh, January 15 as the day that we would celebrate the birth of, of, of Dr. King. So they were simply pressured by everyone to do this, though they did so reluctantly. And, 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 and that kind of fits with where we are now uh, in, in so many conservatives thinking that if we ban books about race and racism, if we take away the critical race theory, if we um, just, just stop people from talking about race, then the whole issue of race will go away. Well, it's not going to go away. Discrimination is not going to go away. Racism isn't going to go away just because you stop talking about it. And, and to be honest, in Cuba they have a, a better system of, of, of getting along, people who are white and people who are black and people who are uh, indigenous and uh, they, they do have a Chinese population in, in, in Cuba. But they don't measure um, uh, issues of, of hiring and promotion um, like we do here. So their thing is that if we don't measure it, then racism doesn't exist. When you talk to people who are black there, they say, oh, yeah, it, it's real. But it's just more undercover. And, and we're at a time in the demographics of this country rapidly changing now to where by 2042, we're going to be a majority-minority country. And there are already uh, several majority-minority uh, minor, majority states, um, uh, California being one, uh, um, and, and so many others, Florida, I think, um, that, that we cannot afford to put this thing under the cover anymore. Certainly the conservatives are. They're trying to ban uh, all uh, opportunities and access for people of color. But you can't do that. Um, and, and there needs to be a system of equal education, equal opportunity. We're, we're not getting that now. And with that being said, Carter G. Wilson wrote a book, uh, The Miseducation of the Negro. Got it right here. And could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sir. Um, it's an incredible book written in the 1930s that essentially looks at how black people are treated. And it, and it is just as pertinent today as it was when he wrote it. Let me just give you uh, one uh, passage that I think 
really explains what the book is about. If you can control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he will do. If you make a man feel that he is inferior, you do not have to compel him to accept an inferior status, for he will seek it, he, he, he will seek it himself. If you make a man think that he is justly an outcast, you do not have to order him to the back door. He will go without being told. And if there is no back door, his very nature will demand one. And so this is the outcome of generations of discrimination, and that's not let up. Now, the problem is that you have generations of people feeling that way and generations of people teaching every new generation this same thing. And so it is a perpetual cycle, not just of white people discriminating against us, but us discriminating against us too, which causes all of us to be held back from achieving our potential. So how do you see us overcoming that, uh, uh, that thinking? The, the only way is education. I'm a member of the National Association for Multicultural Education. I'm the political action uh, committee chair. So I write uh, a lot of the statements that uh, appear on the um, website for that organization. And it's only when we have a significant number of, of people of color as teachers who understand the power of um, activism, the power of social justice, the power of uh, DEI, they call it, and that's diversity, equity, and inclusion, and get students, young people, to, to accept and become advocates and apostles of this, this same type of, of movement, that we can then bring about change, that we can then see that um, there's opportunity for us beyond just being held down. Um, I heard um, uh, uh, Mr. Alvin Brooks uh, ages ago describe how they train uh, circus elephants so that they don't run off. They chain them up first, and they get used to pulling against the chain, and they, they after they realize that the chain has them uh, uh, secure for um, uh, a long period of time, and they take the chain off, and the elephant still thinks he's chained. And that's the problem that, that we face today. We, we have been wearing these chains for so long that we think that we're still chained, and we have to realize that we, we have the freedom to fly and to go and to do things that are better uh, and greater than what we ever thought we could achieve. So is... Uh Black history taught in the, in the elementary schools? No, I don't think it's taught the way it should be taught. Black history should be part of the curriculum, the same as Latino history, the same as uh, Asian and Native history should be part of the um, uh, growing and maturing process of, of learning. Now, I'll tell you a funny, not funny, but sad, tragic um, story. I, I was moderating a panel uh, earlier this year 
or maybe it was last year, at the uh, Kent City Public Library. And there were two individuals who were um, from African nations. And someone asked the question of them, uh, what were you taught about the history of your country? And they said they weren't. And so this is a, a global problem of us not knowing about our true history and the true contributions that we've made. And so if you, if you don't see yourself in the past as being contributors to, to the present, then you don't see yourself at the table for the contributions today, and you don't see your, your offspring at the table for contributions that, that lie in the future. Now, another uh, thing that I learned in, in writing uh, books, and that was the, for the first book that I did, uh, which came out 20 years ago this year, and, and that book's titled, A Teacher's Cry Exposed the Truth About Ed Education Today. And a woman who was pushing for standards in education back in the 1990s um, and pushing Congress to enact um, uh, national standards so that everyone could be uh, educated at, at a similar level of excellence. Um, she was confronted by um, a senator, wouldn't tell me who it was, who said, um, well, if we were to provide these exceptional standards uh, for education, and everyone was uh, uh, educated at, at the same level of excellence, then who's going to mow my lawn? Who's going to take care of my child? Who's going to iron my clothes? Who's going to serve me fast food? Um, so there is a system that's in place that is working just fine in producing people who are good second-class, third-class, fifth-class citizens to be able to serve those who uh, see themselves as always staying in power. So how early do you think that... Uh the history of knowing yourself should start being taught. As soon as you can sit up. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think that there's, there's no time that um, young people shouldn't be able to learn about the, the greatness of, of themselves and people who are like them, the greatness of their parents and their grandparents so that, that they can see that that greatness has to extend to them in, in going into the future. Do you think that, that with that being taught would change the climate of our community? I do. I think that um, uh, if people have a greater sense of, of what they can do, of their potential, then they won't have that anger, that outrage that, that boils inside of so many of us, that, that poisons our, our future, um, that causes us to act out and do things that can lead to us becoming part of the criminal justice system, which is in place to benefit from uh, our misbehavior 
to take us away from society and being productive citizens. We have a few minutes left. Is there anything that uh, you have written or read that you would like to share with us? I think we got about two minutes. Well, I, I brought in um, this, this thing called Brain Quest uh, Black History, and I've taken it into schools to share with um, uh, students and teachers, um, and I've had this for a number of years, but it's um, uh, two different sets of questions and answers, and, and it allows the, the classroom to split up into two different sections uh, so that one section asks another uh, a set of questions, and then the answers are provided um, by one group to the other if they get it wrong. Um, uh, and, and it's just a fun game. Uh, black history can be a fun game, and these are things that can be purchased at uh, civil rights museums or places that um, honor and respect black people so that teachers can, can use this as a way of, of um, uh, teaching kids about the value of black history. Number one, our question here, did Jacob Lawrence depict the lives of Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman in paintings in poetry and on film? And then the answer is uh, uh, yes, uh, in paintings, uh, and it consists of 40 panels. And, and people who know Jacob Lawrence uh, understand that uh, he was uh, a very good uh, artist. I'd, I'd like to thank you, Mr. Lewis, for being here with us today. And on that note, I also like to say that at any time, if our listening audience would like to call in, that area code number, that num that number is area code 816-931-5534. And thank you. Yes, sir. Puzzled by the news? Wanting to learn more? Understanding Israel-Palestine airs every Friday at 9.30 a.m. Locally produced but focused on national and international events, the hosts of UIP interview scholars, journalists, activists, and others about the ongoing conflict in Israel-Palestine. Once again, that's Understanding Israel-Palestine every Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. on KKFI. KKFI is always looking for leaders from the Kansas City community to join and help guide our board of directors. Do you love community radio and believe in KKFI's mission? Would you like to serve your community by helping lead KKFI into the future? Show your interest by applying to be a volunteer at kkfi.org. Together, we can shape the future of Kansas City Community Radio. You can now take KKFI with you wherever you go. Download the new KKFI app today. You can listen to live radio, explore the archives, and stay up to date with news. Find us on the App Store and Google Play. Your music, your community, anytime, anywhere. The KKFI mobile app. Here's a calendar for the week of February 19th. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. If you're interested, please call 
888-668-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Please check the calendar at moresquare.org for events you can attend. You can be involved. A list of services, meals, and hotlines are available at Lawrence Progressive Calendar blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. Today at 2 p.m., Black History Month presentation on Langston Hughes for 8 to 11-year-olds is at the Lawrence Public Library, presented by Black Lawrence's Barry Washboard Barnes. That's 707 Vermont, Lawrence, Kansas. Wednesday, February 21st, 9.30 a.m., Storytime about Nicodemus, Kansas is at the Schlegel Library, 4051 West Drive, Kansas City, Kansas. Black History Storytime is for children. Learn about Nicodemus, Kansas, the oldest and only remaining black settlement west of the Mississippi River. Thursday, February 22nd, 6 p.m., the Grief to Relief Seminar invites you to the Maddie Road Center at 148 North Topping Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri, for groups including representatives from Partners for Peace. They will discuss the new program to reduce crime in Kansas City and also what programs are available to you from the city. For those unable to attend in person, all sessions will be accessible via Zoom, to get the Zoom link, please visit coreysnetwork.org. Thursday, February 22nd, 10 a.m., Empower Missouri's Community Justice Coalition has a virtual meeting. This is a multi-sector team of dedicated advocates who envision a future without mass incarceration. For more information and access, go to empowermissouri.org. Sunday, February 25th at 3 p.m., Immigration 101 is at the Johnson County Library Central, 9875 West 87th Street, Overland Park, Kansas, hosted by the League of Women Voters, Johnson County, Kansas. This is a program to discuss the myths and messages we hear about our immigration system. Please register at lwvjoco.org. My name is Terry, reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Please stay safe. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our show and hear Keith Brownell's commentary. KKFI is probably the only local public broadcast station that would have the courage to air the kind of commentary that I am about to present to you. And unfortunately, we are among a group of people who have been adversely affected by the recent tragedy on St. Valentine's Day that occurred at Union Station. On February 14th, we lost Lisa Lopez Galvin in a shooting incident that occurred on that sad day. Lisa was one of our KKFI co-worker volunteers, and finding the words that can express the depths of our sorrow over her loss is truly impossible. It was less than a year ago 
that I personally tried to warn Mayor Quentin Lucas and everyone else on the city council. I tried to warn them about the likelihood of a mass shooting here in Kansas City and that this city was ill-prepared to deal with a crisis of this magnitude. They all ignored me. I also went to every local news agency in this town to try and get them to put this information out to the public, including hotshot reporter Angie McConnell, who works for KCTV5. They all ignored me as well. In fact, many other people who were likely to end up being victims of a mass shooting ignored me too. You see, I'm just a nobody, and no matter what little insignificant people like me think, it is unimportant to big shot people like Lucas and Ricano, especially at a time when Kansas City is riding high in other areas and somebody like me is walking around being a forecaster of doom. It is just not politically popular. I think people should elect politicians because they present themselves as being well-informed and the most intelligent. But obviously, we elect them not because they are the best person for the job, but because they just simply have more money than their opponents to manage a better political campaign. But how well-informed and more intelligent can they be when they see the same things constantly going on all over the country and in the rest of the world, but still remain in denial about whether or not these things can also happen to us right here? Even the least informed among us know better than that. But I tried to warn the mayor because I understand the pressure that he is under as a politician and as a black man. And I wanted to see him succeed, not fail. Yet when you keep trying to warn people about an obvious impending disaster and they keep ignoring it, eventually tragedy is sure to follow. So now tragedy has touched everybody in a way where it can no longer be ignored. And we are damn lucky that it wasn't a whole lot worse than what it was. 2024 isn't even two months old yet, and already we have had 49 mass shootings nationwide in 46 days. Kansas City was the 50th, according to USA Today. It is the epitome of insanity to maintain that the Second Amendment right to bear arms also includes the right of irresponsible people to freely roam the streets of our communities to endanger and destroy the lives of innocent victims. Such an idea is crazy, and it's got to stop. Sooner or later, here in the Show Me State, we are going to have to face the fact that we've got to find a way to get rid of all of these pro-gun fanatics in the Missouri legislature. It seems that no matter what happens, they are determined to keep passing more and more laws and making it less and less difficult for guns to fall into the hands of the wrong people. This is going to continue until there is not a single person left in the state of Missouri or elsewhere who has not been a victim of a gun-related tragedy or has had a person somewhere in their family who has been a victim. Maybe we are already at that point right now. The shooting that took Lisa Lopez Galvin's life occurred during a Super Bowl victory parade for the Kansas City Chiefs. 29 other people were also injured, and 22 of them suffered gunshot wounds. But the largeness of the turnout for our home team showed the Chiefs just how much people here in KC really love them. Now it's time for the Chiefs to show the people in this town how much they love us. We need them and every major sports team in this nation, if possible, to use their influence on the public 
to force the Missouri legislature to rescind and stop passing laws that makes it easy for more and more people to buy more and more guns and also makes it easy for them to walk around with and transport them in their vehicles. We need to quit trying to be nice about this and just start telling people the truth. When we speak to the public, stop saying things like, I hope my colleagues would do this or I hope the lawmakers will do that. Just start being blunt and telling folks that the people who are now in power have blood on their hands, plain and simple, and they couldn't care less. They are not listening to us, and they're not going to listen. The only way to prevent more mass shootings like this is to vote people like that out of office. I have heard Governor Mike Parson argue that studies in Illinois and other places have shown strict gun laws do not reduce gun violence. But the proof is undeniable that in most cases, the absence of stricter gun laws certainly increases gun violence. And the main reason Illinois and other places have not had a reduction in violence committed with guns is because people in Illinois and other places are coming here to buy their guns in Missouri since they can't get them in the states where they live. Parson and other politicians like him would try to tell you how much they love the people of Missouri and that they care about their safety and welfare. But they don't care anything about us. The only thing they love and care about is more and more guns and the money to be made off of them. So unless we want to keep seeing more incidents like the one that happened at Union Station the other day, we'd better start learning to love and care about ourselves. My name is Keith Brownhill. Thank you for listening. Uh, in addition to... Uh Miss Lisa Lopez Galvin, I want to send out my condolences to all the other victims that were injured at the Union Station when the shooting took place on February the 14th. And my prayer is that we don't have another incident like that anytime in the near future, or if we can avoid it, not to have another incident like that again. We have to do whatever we can to bring pressure on our lawmakers, not to just simply keep asking them or pleading with them. We have to bring pressure down on them to make them understand that we cannot tolerate this. You know, because if we don't, we're all gonna be carrying guns and we're all gonna be dead. Uh, I have in the studio with me two of my favorite people, Mr. Macy Jones and Mr. Lewis Duguid. I'd like to get some uh, feedback from them on what their analysis is of the situation. Uh, Mr. Duguid. I like what you said. I, th I think that it is uh, right on point. We have to stop asking, pleading, and go to demanding. And there, there has to be a change because what we've been doing isn't working. We, we've been um, trying to be nice. Nice doesn't work. Um, we've been having these prayer vigils. That doesn't work. <clears throat> there, there have been repeated instances of violence. In today's paper, they were noting that <coughs> in the last 10 days, 10 people have been killed by guns. And, and these are citizens that that we, we should not be losing. And, and so, yes, we, we need action. One of the things that made me uh, 
um, I guess you'd have to say I had a little, I had hair standing up on the back of my neck. Uh, down here in Missouri, St. Louis has always been the leader <laughs> in uh, homicides in the state of Missouri. Last year, we had more homicides than St. Louis did. You know, because, and it seems like for several years we've been – not that I'm encouraging people in St. Louis to go out and, and kill more people than they kill in Kansas City, but this is the first time that ever happened. You know, it seems like all over the years we've, we've been competing. Kansas City and St. Louis have been competing with each other to see how many people they can kill. And, you know, it's this this year when, when, the, when the statistics came out, I felt embarrassed because it seems like, you know, people in St. Louis, like they finally learned some sense <laughs> and we still up here tripping. Brother Macy, did you have something you want to have uh, add to it? Yes, I think it's a shame that, you know, uh, our team and Chief, Chief Kingdom, we won the Super Bowl, and then we decide to have a parade to celebrate uh, that victory, which was a which was a nail biter. However, it was a victory nonetheless for us. And then to have individuals to take it upon themselves <coughs> to do what they did, you know, it, it's a shame that we can't enjoy anything collectively without there being incidents. We used to have skating rinks, but then individuals was shooting up, shooting at the skating rinks all the time. Now to try to go skating, if you like to skate, you, you don't know where to go. You used to have it right there in your community, but now it's no <coughs> longer there. And that, you know, for an individual to do what they did, okay, they got five minutes of fine. You know, it's like, it's like thrill seekers. Individuals want that five minutes to be noticed. Five minutes of fame and a lifetime of misery. Ain't no doubt. But they want to be noticed. So now they notice. But in the process of them being noticed, they have turned around and they have put in the lives of other people trauma. They have placed other people and made them victims. Not only them a victim, but their families a victim. And they're children's children victims. We can no longer we we can no longer allow that. And your call or your statement that you <coughs> gave earlier about everyone has to take part. You know, it can't be one individual. Everyone has to say, hey, enough is enough. And until everyone says enough is enough, then I hate to say it or be a doomsayer, I guess that's the word, for tragedies like this to come again. And there's something that I want to say to all you young guys out there. Uh, I'm a person, I've, I've spent a, a significant portion out of my life in prison for uh, gun-related crimes. And I want you to understand, I don't care how big and bad and tough you think you are when you're walking around out here with a gun. When they get you in prison and they lock you up and they take that gun away from you, you ain't no gangster no more. You a punk. You know, uh, I can't tell you some of these tough, uh, some of the things I saw some of these tough guys out here on the street. I can't tell you some of the things that they doing while they in prison because we on the radio. But this is something that you need to think about. You know, when you go to prison for a gun crime, chances are you're going to spend a long time locked up behind iron doors. 
you know, it you might it might be years before you see your family again. You, they might not even be here by the time you get out. You know, and the only way you're going to get out of that is that you get caught up in a murder case or something. You're gonna have to tell on somebody to get out of to, to keep from going to prison for the rest of your life. You, you know, may still go, and you and you may still go. So those are things you need to think about. It ain't no future in 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 in, in uh, pursuing a life like that. You know, and and another thing that I need young guys to understand, man, when. When I was, we always gonna have problems. I, I'm not gonna get up here and preach to you and tell you we need to stop killing each other and stop shooting because that ain't gonna happen. But at least have some common sense. When I was coming up, we knew better than to do something like that in front of a whole lot of people. You know, if we ran into somebody we had a problem with, you know, we just nod at each other and say, "Okay, I'm gonna give you a pass right now. I'll holler at you later." You know, if somebody had done that. At that time, that could have saved a whole lot of people's uh, some misery and some suffering. Lewis, you got something you want to add to that? I think that we have to give young people alternatives. If they can see that there's more power in a book than a gun, then they will go toward the book. If they can see that the library is better than the streets, then they'll hang out in the library if they can see that the power is in their mind and their ability to harness what their future can really hold, then they'll let go of the gun and, and go and, and, and develop their mind. It's just we don't give young people enough of an opportunity to, to learn about the possibilities that are out there. I'll tell you a, fun, a funny story. Um, <clears throat> when I was with my partner, uh, Betty Tate Beaver, she and I literally traveled the world. She had itchy feet. She wouldn't stay still. Anyway, we went to Peru, and she went hang gliding over a cliff in Lima and, and did all kinds of, of stuff. But we, we traveled from the cities to the Andes and Machu Picchu and then on into uh, the rainforest. <coughs> and it was in the rainforest that we saw these these young women riding on the backs of motor scooters uh, with these fellows. And they were probably in, in the seventh heaven because they thought that hanging on with that fellow who had a motor scooter where other people were walking was the best thing going. But their lives were dependent on only knowing that small advantage rather than knowing the bigger advantage of, of traveling the world. And I think that our kids need to see the bigger advantage. They're not being given that bigger picture, and that's why they're choosing so many uh, poor alternatives. <coughs> we, we need to provide them with better and bigger alternatives, and, and that's in books. And, and along with that, you know, it's a big world out there, you know. It's a big world. And <coughs> as, as Lewis said, alternatives. There have to be alternative solutions to violence. I remember when, when we was growing up when, uh, when I, me and Keith had a problem, you know, we, we, we could go to the gym. 
we could get in the ring, you know. If we was at school and had a problem, they'll take us in the gym and put the gloves on us and let us bang it out. But after we got through beating each other up, you know, me and Keith became the best of friends. That's what usually happens from a fist fight, you know. However, from gunplay, it ain't no coming back from that. And then we have to ask ourselves, is the value of taking that life really worth it? If an individual, I watched a movie one time, and I'm going to say the guy, he was a drug dealer. And in the process, the guy got, got his product from him and took off. And every time the guy would see him, he ducked him and he tried to stay away from him. So the guy that, that, that had gave him the product, he turned around and he, he ran into an older guy. And the older guy said, what's wrong with you, man? He said, hey, man, I done gave this guy my product and he keep ducking and dodging me. How much product you give him? He said, well, I gave him $100, for example. Turned around and he was told, the older guy told him, he said, hey, what you tripping on? You just gave, you just gave him something to leave you alone. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? So if an individual stay away, let that be it. Caller, what's your name and what are you calling? Where are you calling from? Larry, North Kansas City. All right. What's your comment, Larry? <coughs> well, I'm enjoying your show. Great show. Uh, I think uh, realistically, we need role models. We need people to show us a different a different way. That's the bottom line. If you got good parents that are instilling in you value a value system as opposed to just letting you do whatever you want to do. We need role models, and it begins with parents. You know, some of these kids are living in a household with no books. I mean, how about that? We need, uh, we need better role models, particularly male role models, uh, to give us some direction. That's, that's the answer. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'd like to add to that that, when, you know, like back in the days when I was coming up, uh, our parents, you know, a lot of times they didn't have uh, opportunity to be role models because they were too busy working trying to take care of the family. But we were able to look to uh, guys out on the street that was into the type of lifestyle that we was trying to get into, the hustlers and uh, the guys that was out there, you know, finding another way to try to survive out there. They gave us advice. They taught us things. When they saw us doing something wrong, they snatched us in the collar and said, hold up. That ain't the way you do that. That's wrong. We need those type of role models, too. And, uh, you know, but it got to a point where, you know, uh, a lot of people that was out there on the streets, you know, they was playing the role of a mentor. They uh, they got tired or they stopped doing it. And then it got to a point where you you can't tell these young guys nothing no more. I hear a lot of older people saying, I mean, you can't tell these young guys nothing no more. You know, uh, Macy spoke about, you know, the gloves and things. Maybe. That's what we need to go back to. You know, we catch a young guy out on the street, you know, like you tell him, look, okay, you think you know everything. Come on in this gym. I'm going to show you what you know, you know. And uh, you let him understand, you know, we're going to get in here. We're going to do what we got to do. Then when we get through, we're going to hug each other, embrace, and then we're going to go back to living our life, you know, like we was. You know, but we have to find some type of way, you know, to get a message to these young people and, and and not I, I I'm not picking on young people. We we got a lot of old stupid people out here too. We need to get a message to them because they were never brought up right. You know, somebody gave them the game. It was messed up. You know, 
Uh, can we have a quick comment from you, Lewis, and, and then from you, Mason, right before we go off there? I think we got about two minutes. Well, I think what you said, Keith, about that sense of community is, is so important because it's, it's from that community where people took ownership in each other and in, uh, in each other's children that we provided that guidance that was, that was so very necessary. But we also need to rebuild the black businesses in, in the black community because they were the ones that provided the jobs. They were the ones that also provided the instruction and, and the care and giving that, that occurred uh, for a lot of the kids so that it wasn't just the folks who were idle on the street, but it was, it was everybody pulling together to instill a sense of values in, in our kids and what was possible for them beyond the streets. I'd just simply like to say thank the caller for calling in and giving us his thoughts and comments that we have to turn around and we just have to go back to basics. A lot of, a lot of our children are raising themselves today. And how can a child actually educate another child when he himself has, doesn't have the knowledge? We just have to do our educating. We just have to get our mindsets right and go and educate our kids. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for being on the show today and making all of this possible. I hope we got to somebody and reached them that heard this broadcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We're going to go out with a piece that was created for this situation. What about the children? <laughs> over here and when I give you the signal
Going out to all the politicians who can change things and don't. Thoughts and prayers. Going out to the gun manufacturers and those lovely people who work at the NRA. Thoughts and prayers. Going out to the members of the media who have become completely numb to the violence. Thoughts and prayers. Going out to the divided states of America. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not necessarily of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff, or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes and podcasts under the News and Public Affairs tab on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to volunteer to produce the show, please click on the contact link at the top of the KKFI webpage. Tune in for the rest of the 9 a.m. weekday lineup with Arts Magazine on Tuesday, Arts Speak Radio on Wednesday, Cowtown Conversations on Thursday, and between the lines at 9 a.m., followed by Understanding Israel-Palestine at 9.30 on Fridays. Up next this morning is Dr. Mike's Morning Medicine Show, followed at noon by the 45 Hive with Clinton Martins. Stick around for the Jazz Canadian at 2 p.m. and Blues with Mother's Mix at 4 p.m. You can go back to Information Radio with Eco Radio KC at 6 p.m., followed by Law and Disorder at 7 p.m. Then round out your day south of the border with Fiesta Musicale at 8 and Noche Magica at 10 p.m. Please keep your dial on 90.1 FM, home of Kansas City Community Radio. (laughs) ¶¶